Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. PJ, is it as grey and depressing outside your window as it is for me today? Yes, it's horrible out there. I know we. I know we're recording from separate countries. You know, uh, literally across across a, a border, miles away from each other. But um, yeah, it's pretty wintry outside. If I'm honest, it's a little grim. My uh, my wife's gone for a walk at the moment because is, is she mad? Some yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, she married me, so. I mean, so what you're saying is, faced with the option of getting fresh air. Or sitting inside and talking about a 20-year-old comic. Uh, she chose the former? I mean, Look, she has a routine. When we record a podcast, she either goes out for a walk or goes into the other room and watches shit on Netflix. Um, today she went for the walk. Is, is that because she just cannot stand to be in the same room as anything DC-related? Is she a real Marvel Marvel fan? She doesn't read a lot of comics. Uh, Tank Girl, that's her thing. She loves Tank Girl, reads reads that. And I think the uh, the Fight Club sequels that uh, the original author, what's his name, Chuck? Uh, Palin, Palinuk? That Chuck, guy, yeah. Yeah. That he wrote. She's she's read those. But other than that, she's not a big... I did get her to read Runaways. I think that's, just, that's the only Marvel book I've managed to get her to read. I haven't oh. managed to get her to read any DC, so... I, uh, oddly enough, I'm... We were just talking off air. We briefly talked about a time when I lived in Canada. And uh, believe me, if you know me, getting me to shut up about the time I lived in Canada <laughs> is quite hard. Um, I mean, if you're playing JLA cast bingo, there you go. There you go. That's one. That's one. That's a row. Um, but I, when I when I arrived in Canada, I, I, I had nothing but, uh, you know, a shirt on my back and uh, a rucksack, forgot trousers. And <laughs> I had to leave all my comics at home. But a friend, uh, a Canadian friend, lent me some some graphic novels to kind of help me fill that void. And I remember he gave me pretty much all of Ultimate X Men. Oh, okay. And um, and Runaways, the big omnibus uh, volume one of Runaways, which mm. I enjoy. I remember enjoying quite a bit. Yeah, I have the, the all three of the uh, the the hardcover omnibuses that Brian K. Vaughan's run on Runaways. Mm. Uh, Couple of them signed by Brian K. Vaughan, which is nice. He's he's a very nice man. Brian, uh, K- yeah. let's let's talk for a minute because Brian K. Vaughan, he also has a shaved head, does he not? Not unlike Grant Morrison. Yes, 
Okay, okay. So I feel we're qualified to talk about him then. Um, <laughs> we can only talk about the the, the bald comic creators. This we is can- our thing, is it? Indeed, yeah. Only so in effect- Vaughn Morrison Bendis. Uh, if I could, if I could go a long time without talking about Bendis, I'd be quite happy. Uh, <laughs> but that's my own personal problem. Um, but no, it's like I know um, for better or for worse, uh, comics has been a bit of a great man sort of field, mm, if you mm. know what I mean. Like it's like great man history. Like you, you, t- you look back at a period of time and think that it was all defined by big figures in a way uh which is kind of an inaccurate way of looking at history but we we've kind of done that in comics for a while it's always been like alan moore gaiman morrison miller some other names who i'm not gonna reel off now but you know what i mean like yeah you, you kind of have these big superstars and brian k vaughan is such an oddity because he's incredibly good and everything he does seems to be kind of like game-changing or yeah. really influential. And yet, he's very quiet, I feel. Like, in between the moments when he's just throwing out some amazing new series. I think don't... that's because he spends time out of comics. Like, he'll ah. just go and do... He'll go and spend a few years working in TV or something like that. So, and then come back and, and when we haven't heard from him for ages, oh, here's Saga. Oh, okay. This is brilliant, but yeah, I think I think that might be it. That he he's not so focused on comics. He does a lot of different stuff. I'll be honest, that's probably healthy. Yeah, like, I think so. To get out a bit, because I think as much as I, you know, well, clearly here we are talking about a very old comic. As much as um, you know, we're in this world and we we love certain bits, we we hate certain bits as well. It can get very insular. Yes. You know, I, I think you could you could end up doing nothing but talking about comics <laughs> like all day or like the politics of comics or the the drama of comics. I think you probably do need to step outside and go for a walk sometimes. Oh, you mean I should have gone for a walk with my wife instead of done this? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as as P, PJ, as your physician, f- physician, <laughs> as your physician, <laughs> I can't even speak, as your doctor, PJ, as your medicine man. And <laughs> my your, shaman. I, I, and your and your therapist, yes, but I'm glad you gave in to your base instincts and actually stayed in to record today. Also, it looks cold out there, and you know I'm a very fragile creature. I just I, I the thing the thing about Brian K. Vaughan is I remember again when I was living in Canada, I had an idea for a comic which you, you may have heard of, PJ, called Afterlife Inc. No, I'm not and, familiar with it. No, it's not very good. I'd I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd give it a miss, but um, I remember. Uh, reading a uh, hardback deluxe edition of um, Ex Machina. I love Ex Machina, yes. Again, really, really good. If you haven't read it, go read it. And um, there were there were like director's notes in the back and Brian K. Vaughan was talking about, he actually had the original pitch for Ex Machina, which I remember taking notes from because I'm like, okay, so this is how, this is how you structure a pitch. Hmm. And then obviously never doing anything with it. Um, but I remember he was talking, and I think he mentioned something about like it may have been why the Last Man, and I think another he me- brilliant book, there also we go. also great. And I, he gave some anecdote about how like he was sleeping on like a friend's sofa, basically in New York, 
basically kind of, in his eyes, failed at the writing business, hadn't broken in, hadn't made mm. a dent. And almost like as a last ditch attempt, he just pitches this idea called Why the Last Man? Just 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 shits it out. Like, oh, here's here's just a throwaway idea. And it's just another gem. Like another absolute gem. It's 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 astonishing to me how, how you know you can just have so many kind of big ideas and they all kind of land. It's really annoying. It is annoying. And I know like I know luck's a big a big factor as well, like being in yeah. the right place at the right time, but he's rarely put a uh, was it like a foot out of step? Is that right? Is that is? Yeah, I mean, he did write for Lost, so it's not all perfect, but we won't hold that against him. I mean, even um, what was it because um, Lind- Lindelof, Lind- Lindelof, he was the big Damon Damon Lindelof, yeah, yes, um, big fan of the Promise, not very good at the actual delivery. I, I've it's that thing with with Lindelof, who's another, I believe, shave headed creator. He uh there's such promise to a lot of what he does. And every time I've seen an interview or read an interview with him, he comes across as a really nice guy. I really like him. But my god, he's written some absolute shit. I know, and yeah, I was I was honestly in the camp of I I'm just I just didn't no time for him at all at this point. I was like, I cannot I cannot be doing this. And yet uh we watched the first episode of the Watchmen TV show. I have heard very good things, but I haven't got around to watching it myself yet. It's very good. And I'm like I and I and suddenly I'm like, oh Mr. Lindelof, like I'm I'm paying attention again. Now the question will be: everyone everyone liked that first episode of Lost. I think people even kind of liked the first season of Lost. Um, I stuck with it for four seasons. Four seasons, PJ. That's interesting. Yeah. So so Lost. I feel like it's very much a show where if you miss an episode, you are screwed. If you're following it, great. But once you miss what that one forty five minute chunk of the story, you are completely lost. <laughs> and see, see, see what he did there. Yeah, thank you. I, I I thought long and hard about that. So I I threw I can't remember why, but one week I didn't get to watch it. I missed an episode, and then I found myself thinking, and I'm all right with that. And I never went back to it. I was oh, like, wow. yeah. Do you know what? I don't actually care. I have been freed. That's the moment when. That's like the acknowledgement that this has become a bit of an obligation. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm here because I, I need to complete it. Although apparently yeah. you broke the cycle. You went cold turkey, and then you didn't have to worry so much. After four years, yeah. But my brother was a massive fan of Lost, and I think still is actually. Um, and I think his his position has always been, even if. Ultimately, the overall plot doesn't make a lot of sense or does make sense, but is ultimately underwhelming. He was like, the journey was fun enough that it didn't really matter. I've got a, one of my very good friends. She's of a very similar opinion. She was one of those people who stayed up to watch the pie, uh, the, sorry, the, the, the very last episode when they broadcast it 
simultaneously with the US over here at like three in the morning or whatever time it was. And she was disappointed by the ending. But she has also, since then, gone back and rewatched all of Lost because she loves it. Wow. Because she really enjoys it as a show. And even though it doesn't stick the landing, it's still, as you said there, a fun enough journey for her to, to go on it again. But God, I mean, we're talking like hundreds of hours of content. Yes. Surely, like the entire run. It's, uh, and I, I, I think because I, I watched the first two seasons and then I came back and watched the finale. Um, oh, how was that? I don't know. I, I just found like literally the embodiment of evil and the embodiment of good and they're literally just black and white energy forces. And I was like, this is a bit... This is a bit paint by numbers, isn't it? This is a, <laughs> this is a bit early learning center. My first allegory. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And then, of course, you got everybody going. Ah, right. But it turns out. Sorry, spoilers, everyone for Lost. But going on. Oh, it turns out my theory was right. They were in heaven all along. I'm like, no, no, it it wasn't. I mean, they were in heaven at the end, but they weren't in heaven in the beginning. It, it's yeah. I think my theory was correct, which was they had no idea how they were going to end it when they started it, and they were making it all up as they went along. Indeed, and you can get away with that sort of thing if you don't cast aspersions to there being some incredible mystery that yes. you will you will be rewarded. No, nobody cares that EastEnders hasn't resolved, and that's been going on for like seventy years now. However, however long it's been, I. I... I do care. I want there to be a big season finale. Big, big finale to EastEnders where, I don't know. Will Phil and Gran ever Gran. assemble the Infinity Scones? That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you if you merge the Mitchell brothers, you do almost get Thanos, don't you? So. You do, don't you? In fact, you could... Um, you know like those pictures where it's, it looks like a human face and then you rotate it 180 degrees and it's a different human face? Yes. I, I think if you took the two Mitchell brothers' heads and stuck them together in that manner, I think um, Phil could be the upper half of Thanos. And I think Grant could just be his chin, kind of like this, kind of like <laughs> wr- wrinkly at the bottom. I hope we don't have any listeners outside of the UK because that is not going to make any sense. No. Hey, but you know what will make sense for our American listeners, PJ? Are you about to jump into the issue? Because I wanted to cover one more thing before we do. Uh well, you're right, PJ. The answer is whatever you were about to say. <laughs> um, a piece of news has come out between us recording our last episode. We're a couple ahead of you if you're listening, so this is several weeks old news by this point, but I, I did want to mention it. Um, Grant Morrison has come out as non-binary, which I, really. I think... Which I... Have they really? That is an excellent point, PJ. I apologise. Have they really? Yeah, which I think is a lovely piece of news that Grant feels comfortable enough with the world and and with themselves that they can come out and and say, I am non-binary. And I think we here at the JLA cast, we fully applaud that. Hey, hey, PJ, PJ, you're speaking for me. And for all you know, I could be the biggest bigot you could imagine. I mean, if that were true, we're ending the podcast right here and now. (laughs) Well, PJ... I'm actually totally on board of it. That is awesome. And and frankly, yeah. given given Grant's body of work, I think, you know, it's always been a very kind of 
diverse and eclectic crowd in his in his in their creations and yeah just wow I'm, yeah i'm okay with that, that it does mean that if we have referred to grant as he in episodes you've heard since uh, the announcement um that's because they were recorded before it just to pick up on that from now on we will do our level best to refer to grant as they I will I will try my damnedest and uh I've just got to say like I'm probably going to screw up. <laughs> I'm probably going to screw up, but I I will I will try. I really will. Um well, PJ on that note, um where are we in in the world of JLA? Well, we are midway through Rock of Ages, the epic the epic that is a capital T A G. Uh the epic JLA story which just gets more epic. You see, now I actually just want, you know, like the Lost opening titles. I want, I just like previously on JLA, and I want like the JLA logo to just kind of like loom out of the darkness <laughs> towards us. Well, I mean, previously, the JLA were fighting a new injustice gang put together by Lex Luthor, and the JLA were winning because Batman. That's all you need to know. And then Metron turned up, sent some of the JLA hurtling through time and space, specifically Aquaman, Green Lantern, and Flash. And they ended up in a weird place called Wonderworld, and now they've travelled back in time to celebrate the JLA's victory over the Injustice Gang. But oh no, oh no, something's gone wrong, and Darkseid is here and rules the Earth. Yes, and apparently uh, it's very important, it was very important that our kind of time-stranded heroes find the Philosopher's Stone, which is apparently an item of immense power, and their quest has since changed because Kyle, aka Green Lantern, has been told by our man, a time traveller from a far future, that if they do not get back home and stop the JLA from winning against the Injustice Gang... Darkseid will end up ruling planet Earth, basically. Yeah. Confused? (laughs) I mean, you're not going to be helped by the introduction to this issue, because it jumps straight in it Confused Town. Yeah, like, uh, pulling no punches. and, And, yeah, I guess we should just dive into it, really, because we are apparently 15 years from now. So it is the Halcyon days of... 2012, PJ? Uh, yeah. Is that yeah, depressing? Oh my god, yeah. That yeah. is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and we have this incredible opening scene of uh, Aquaman mid-air above a kind of oily, sickly-looking ocean and a burning, kind of like oil rig, um, punching a squid man in the face. And As he flies off using his grappling hooks and trying to swing away from this weird squid man creature thing. Yes, and I guess the most striking thing about this weirdness is that Aquaman appears to have white hair and looks really dirty. Yeah, he's not at his best. Yeah, and he's narrating, which is quite nice. Because uh, Aquaman really hasn't had a massive amount to do so far in the series as a whole. Yes. I do kind of feel like this is his moment. Uh, that's what uh, Grant was planning. Uh, and yeah, and he's basically saying like, I I, 
I don't really know what's happening. One minute we were fighting the Injustice Gang, and now here I am, like, fighting crab and squid men in the far future, I guess. Yeah, as he's narrating, he, he grapples onto a some kind of ship in the sky above him, and on the ship then becomes entangled in a fight with a big crab man monster thing that tells him to die in Darkseid's name. And at this point in my original reading of this series, I was still calling him um, Dark Seed in my yeah, head. Yeah, me too. Me too. Which I still prefer. Um, so yeah, um, Aquaman is basically treading on our toes and giving a nice little um, summary of the event so far. Um, talking to an unknown person. I was going. To, I was trying to think of a better word for person, but yeah, he's kind of like he's he's talking to somebody in voiceover explaining everything that happened yeah and the next most of the next page is still just filling us in on on what's gone before as he dives off the top of the ship back into the water and then we get a panel where old aquaman is merged with this energy version of aquaman because to get back to earth from wonderworld Flash ran so fast that the three of them were converted into light, effectively. And these light beings, Aquaman now says his light body is drawn down to Earth and then impact. And it merges with his future self. And suddenly our present day Aquaman is is the mind, but the body is this future old Aquaman. You know, I regret to inform you, PJ, um, that combination of words you just uttered which uh, no human being on the planet has ever spoken in that order um that was actually my activation phrase and i think i have to go crush capitalism oh well we can pause and then once you've crushed capitalism and you get back we'll do the rest of the issue i know it's cool capitalism isn't going anywhere oh i'll, I'll, I'll pick it up in in a bit okay sounds good uh, but yeah so Aqu- aquaman um the this future older version of aquaman is now combined with the mind of his pre his past self and now finds himself kind of like he's just like picked up in the middle like he's like you know he's just picked up this battle and kind of has he's confused he has like no idea what's going on he's underwater and there is like a ship full of like fish men kind of like shooting towards him there's definitely a, a pink shark man in among them, which I wonder if, if that's a reference to Sharky and George, the crime busters of the sea. <laughs> I mean, that would be a deep cut. <laughs> He's kind of, I never really thought of him as pink before. He's kind of like, he looks greyish pink to me. That's definitely a pink shark man. Definitely a pink shark man. Um, but yeah, so Aquaman is literally just explaining, you know, we, we seem to have taken possession of the bodies of our future selves. And he goes, but I was lucky my older self managed to transmit a telepathic command just before I arrived. So just because Aquaman is disorientated and it looks as though a big group of angry fishmen and a pink shark man are coming towards him, an utterly gigantic whale creature is swimming up towards them. Aquaman describes it as some colossal mutated thing, and I love this this whale monster. I, I'm sad that we only get this one panel with him. I, I want a whole spin-off series. Yeah, like um 
Howard Porter doing some great work again, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's brilliant stuff. Absolutely superb. And as this whale, I guess, kills and eats the fish people, Aquaman swims west. Um, I think we've talked about it briefly before, PJ, but did you ever read right to the end of New X-Men by Grant Morrison? Yes. Do you remember there was very, very, very briefly a talking whale at the end of that like time travel story at the end? Yes, I do. Yes. It was called Mermax. And Mermax was a giant whale that spoke with a Glaswegian accent. Ah. Oh, yes. I, I've only read that once, that, that like right to the end of New X-Men. But yeah, that... I choose to believe that this is the same whale. It would make sense. Existing across time, space, and publishing universes. This is Grant Morrison's favourite Glaswegian super whale from the future. Maybe maybe it's one of those characters where I know this is a this or it was a thing, certainly in, in uh Transformers for a while, where where Unicron Every time Unicron appeared in the different universes and timelines that Transformers had, it was actually the same Unicron, and he was like an omniversal constant. So every time it was Unicron, it was that one Unicron. Maybe Mermax is one of those. Wow. I, honestly, PJ, like, I, le- I learn something every day. That is, <laughs> that is genuinely interesting. Um, but yeah, so um, Aquaman swims west. And he makes his way to Metropolis, which we see has become this utterly grim, disgusting hellscape of a city. Um, And yeah, he's kind of swimming through like dirty, polluted waters. It's pretty vile. Yeah, it's it's really evocative, actually. I think Porter does a great job of, of just letting you know how disgusting this version of metropolis is and aquaman pulls himself out of the water and he's he sort of almost goes into shock because he starts staring at his own hand and he starts thinking well why am i an old man what is going on and i have to say so 15 years later how old would you say aquaman is here he looks like he must be in his i don't know late 50s yeah, it's it's hard to say, isn't it? Because I have, I I know people who are in their kind of fifties, and they don't look quite as haggard as Aquaman does here. But then again, we he's been through a lot. We can assume, and he does live underwater, so he'll be very wrinkly. Yeah, yeah, but that would mean that our Aquaman then must be in his like early forties. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I mean, okay, he's got he's go got he's got a majestic beard, doesn't he? Nobody, nobody under the age of forty has that beard growing power. <laughs> That's very true. Um, but Aquaman, you know, again dealing with that shock, dealing with that confusion, that dislocation, um, eventually comes to the crux of it, which is we arrived fifteen years too late to save a philosopher's stone from destruction. Fifteen years—that's all it took. And then we get something which I think is very much the domain of 90s comics. I think it was something that really came to the fore in the 90s and it almost it went away at the end of the 90s, largely, which is where they try and do a widescreen image without it being a double page spread. And you have to turn your comic on its side 
to get the full effect of the picture. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. Um, and yeah, actually, come to think of it, this would look amazing as a double page spread. I hadn't actually thought of that. I'm assuming this used to be done where they didn't have room for a double page spread. Although I, I remember there was um, a crossover, two part crossover between uh, Spider-Man and X-Force in the early 90s. <laughs> Where each issue, the entirety of both issues, you had to read in that way, so it was white, so it looked like it was widescreen, and you'd flip the pages up instead of left. And well, I've got—I I mean, not to keep going on about new X Men, but Grant Morrison did it again. There's a there was an book. annual, wasn't there? Yes, yes, uh, drawn by Lionel Francis Yu as well. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that went away, to be honest, because I don't like reading my comics like that. It feels weird. You know, I'm glad to, you know, I've often, I'm glad to hear you say that, PJ, because I've often thought to myself, I want to try that one day. And now you've taught me out of a bad decision. Just do double page spreads, John. Yeah, but then you've got to pay for twice as many pages, PJ. <laughs> do a shorter story. Uh, do I have to think of everything? Oh, you're right. You're right. Efficiency in all things. Um, but PJ, what the singular hell is going on in this big picture? Well, there's uh, lots of pictures with Darkseid's face that say Darkseid is, and then there's a bunch of paratroopers, uh, swarm troopers flying above the in the smoke-filled sky as all these chimneys are belching out fire, and the populace are walking around with these very, very strange masks on, which seem to be made of hands that cover their eyes, mouths, and ears, and... It's a really weird, striking image what do that they call I feel it? really leans into the Kirby. What do they call it, PJ? Is it, is it the the Happy Monkeys? Yeah, the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil yeah. dudes. Yeah. It's deeply bizarre. And I want to give a particular shout out, though, to these massive screens or posters showing Darkseid's face because... I don't think I've seen a depiction of Darkseid before or since, which is quite as good. In my in my opinion, I think Howard Porter here has drawn probably the best Darkseid. Just my opinion. I concur. He just looks sinister as hell. And I think one thing that Graham Morrison gets so well about Darkseid, and we're going to see a lot of it in the coming issues, is the immensity of him. Mm. Like... Because again, he's got like these big posters up, uh, like kind of Citizen Kane style, and they're not like they're not saying something like Darkseid will destroy you, or you know, Darkseid is a bad person. <laughs> they just say Darkseid is. Yeah, Darkseid. Not... It just means Darkseid is your reality. This is how you live now. Just Darkseid. The fact that Darkseid even exists is the horror like i it, it's really chilling actually I, I i've it really made an impact on me and i think skill stands up yeah hugely and then at the bottom of the page we get the title and credits so rock of ages part four wasteland writer grant morrison penciler howard porter inca john dell letterer ken lopez colorist pat garrahy separator heroic age associate editor peter tomasi and editor dan raspler uh, PJ, I want to say a joke, but I've forgotten a key bit of information. Um, what was the no? You, uh, that young ju- no, 
Was it Young Justice, which was the team of uh, Robin, Superboy, and Impulse? Yes. Right, okay, well, we'll edit this out in post. PJ, did you know that there was a Young Justice tie-in to this episode called Teenage Wasteland? Well, that was tortured. Don't do that again. <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of like while this horrible scene is sinking in, uh, there's suddenly a big explosion and a uh, paratrooper, parademon, goes flying overhead, screaming. Yeah, yeah. But before Aquaman can react to that, he sees someone else, and Wonder Woman's alive. uh, Yes, and he says as much. You're alive. And Wonder Wonder Woman, who's wearing this kind of post-apocalyptic kind of armor, Mad Max-y sort of thing, um, is picking up a a parademon, and yeah, yeah, just like utterly manhandling this this creature and just goes thanks for noticing because of course in our present wonder woman dead but 15 years in the future she's alive again that's nice and apparently has been alive for some time in this future and apparently was expecting future aquaman yes yes they were supposed to meet i i wonder if part of this, having Wonder Woman show up in the future segment, was Morrison sticking two fingers up at John Byrne? Subtly. I do like this headcanon we've built here. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think the strongest flex that Grant Morrison can do here is to simply just outright John Byrne. It just left, right and centre, up and down the street. Well, yeah, given John Byrne was on the Wonder Woman book and killed her off and then also did that god-awful crossover, which I'm not going to mention by name again because I don't want nope. it to appear. No, P- PJ, PJ, don't, don't, yeah, don't invoke it. <laughs> but in which Darkseid appeared and now Morrison is doing a story which involves both Darkseid and Wonder Woman a hell of a lot better than, than Byrne ever could. I've got to imagine that Morrison would have pitch included rock of ages in the original pitch yeah like i i cannot help but feel that this is the set piece that they were building to yeah must have been so and given the way i i've heard that some of john burns projects kind of unfold i think he he does have a habit of kind of like hanging around the dc offices (laughs) kind of bludgeoning them into submission until they eventually just let him do a mini series and yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine it would be a bit annoying if you had this big dark side moment planned, and then this utterly inconsequential miniseries kind of beats you to it. Yeah, very much so. Which is why I think he adds extra impact to it. Wait, or they? Sorry, I did it. God, ah, which way they add extra impact to it and and do one of the greatest dark side stories of all time. That's one for your bingo as well, folks. Uh, John and PJ are culturally insensitive <laughs> in some way. <laughs> Um, and also an interesting thing I'd up until this point in the main JLA series uh, ignoring the fact that Wonder Woman is of course now dead quote unquote um, Wonder Woman hasn't had a massive amount of screen time or characterization I would say no she's had some very cool moments 
uh, fighting with the Hyper Clan and with the Asmodel's chariot in the Angel story. But other than that, yeah, there's not been a lot of a lot of stuff for Diana to do. And I, I think the same for Aquaman. And I do feel that this story, despite all the big, 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 big cosmic things that go on and the massive ideas, there's a lot of characterization in Rock of Ages. Mm. And this does feel kind of like where the series kind of really puts some of its heart forward. And, you know, it's like up until now, like, you, I mean, interesting, like you think of here we have Aquaman and Wonder Woman interacting and admittedly they're meant to be like a future version of Wonder Woman and like a weird time ghost Aquaman. But contrast this scene with their interaction, say, in, um, in, in against the Hyper Clan. Mm. You know, it's like it's so much warmer and in depth. Like that, you you actually get a real feel for the characters, whereas yeah. I feel I feel at the start, Morrison was still kind of like f- flexing, like getting getting comfortable with these characters, and and now, I, I does feel like they've really hit their stride. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You you get the camaraderie between Diana and Arthur here, and and the history between the characters, even a history that Aquaman hasn't actually experienced himself because. He's 15 years behind Diana. But, yeah, the bond between the characters is there. And it's lovely. I do find it, yeah. I often find it weird that, like, one of the biggest character-building kind of Wonder Woman moments or or sequences in the series is actually a weird future version of Wonder Woman. (laughs) Uh, But it's a hell of a moment. And I guess we're, we're coming to it. But I do really like Wonder Woman here. Yes. Yeah, she's brilliant. But PJ, what's uh, what's Wonder Woman actually doing? Well, she while while Aquaman and Wonder Woman are fighting these swarm troopers, Wonder Woman refers to them as, she says that one of them went rogue and started attacking the others, and she's never seen anything like it. And then Aquaman says, look, I don't know what's going on here. Something strange just happened to me. And then Wonder Woman says, more fighting, less talking. And, uh, and says, we need to get the other side of a wall. So they punch through a wall. Uh, only uh, to be greeted by more, yet more swarm troopers. Yep, and Wonder Woman's basically like, "Look, we can't let them take us alive. We're going to have to fight to the death here." <laughs> and Aquaman's like, "Really? Do we have to? <laughs> There's water underneath us. I'll just just punch us through to that." That's quite. I actually, here's a little question for you, PJ. I guess he can, but can Aquaman sense water? Yes, yes, he can. Because I know like, that because he just did it. Well, I, well, there we go. Because I, I know like some incarnations uh, of Aquaman have had the ability to control water. Yeah, I think uh, that was mostly when he had that water hand. I know I know they've played around with the Aquaman mythology quite a bit to... I, I kind of feel like... I don't mean... I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say this could be cruel to Aquaman, but I think people have often tried to make him cooler in a way. Uh, like even just... I think the movies were like... He doesn't talk to fish. He talks to the water, which talks to fish, or he can control water, or or something like that. He gets stronger in water, that sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas, really, part of the problem is he's a very, very strong guy who can swim underwater and is like super durable and can talk to fish. Yeah. Like he, 
if he was on the land, he'd still be a good superhero, I guess. Yeah, I think people look at him and go, Aquaman, he talks to fish, he's not interesting. And they don't realise that you don't need to change Aquaman to tell a good story with him. You just need to tell a good story. Uh, yes. Sorry, sorry, that was a, a massive di- digression from me, and I do, I do apologise. I, I was just... I feel like if anybody in the world would know the limits of Aquaman's powers, it would be you, PJ. Sadly, I don't. Aquaman is... I, I haven't read as many of his solo stories as as I maybe could have. Most of my Aquaman knowledge comes from the pages of, of JLA, various Justice League series. Well, in which case, we will assume that everything we read here is absolutely true and canon and whatnot. Damn right. But thankfully, PJ, Aquaman can sense water, which is a known power of his, and because he knows that there's water beneath them, Wonder Woman kicks the shit out of the floor. <laughs> she just snaps the ground. And, yeah. And they, they fall into the sewers, which is a classic superhero escape. And then they... Uh-oh, there's another swarm trooper down there, and Wonder Woman's about to kick its bum and then the swarm trooper says no don't fight it's me it's kyle help me it's green lantern yeah um who has a really manky arm he's in a bad way basically kyle's future self has been converted into one of dark side's mindless swarm troopers and yeah i love this description actually because we cut because Aquaman's still narrating this, he's clearly telling the story to... We don't see who, we see, see some shadows, one of them seems very small uh, next to Aquaman's face, but it's just a close-up on Aquaman as he says, He'd arrived in a vacant mind. By sheer force of will, he'd jammed the anti-life signal that had turned his future self into one of Darkseid's zombie troops. That's how strong Kyle Rayner's willpower is, and I will hear no argument against Kyle being the best Green Lantern. Oh, yeah, sure, PJ. But, you know, Kyle, he's just some dude. There's nothing special about him. How dare you? Please, please. The evidence, the evidence, sir, uh, speaks for itself. Um, And, yeah, and I guess suddenly uh, they have a plan because things start moving forward pretty quickly. Like, they know that Kyle is out there, so they've got to go and track down Wally. And you see, like, this, you know, you see kind of Wonder Woman kind of... Uh, flying outside a window where well we can assume it's wally but there is an older he's got red hair so that's how we know it's wally there's an older more kind of overweight wally uh who is living in squalor kind of dressed in rags basically but he does have a cup of coffee with dark side's face on it (laughs) Oh god. oh god, he does. He's got a branded mug. <laughs> um, Darkseid knows how to merchandise. Let's just—he's got the poster. He's got the coffee mug. You just know there's a conveyor belt on Apocalypse, which is just churning out like bric-a-brac. Like yeah, tea- there's there's Darkseid cuddly toys, tea towels, pens, pens, uh, bumper stickers, um, and 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 Wally. Uh, is by by Aquaman's own own words kind of shell shocked uh, because he's arrived in a body which is out of shape and sick, and he can't access the Speed Force. It's like it's been kind of cut out of his brain. And he's there's a bit of panic in Wally's face as he he says to them, you know, I'm the only one who could have gotten us home, 
and now I can't. I can I can't run. I can barely walk. So Wally's, in a way, worse off than Kyle. It's pretty grim, actually. Um, particularly when Wally has always been presented as like the the consummate hero, like the kind of the lifelong hero, and here he's utterly powerless. Like in in more ways than one. Like he he his cool has gone. His he, he's not resourceful. He has nothing to turn back on. He's kind of useless. Yeah, and I think we can assume as well. Uh, Kyle and Wally, early twenties. So right now, mid thirties. Yeah, so so kind of us basically. This is a searing. Oh crit- no! Yeah, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. This is this is a searing critique of what it's like to be mid thirties. <laughs> neither neither PJ or I can access the speed force anymore. No, um, no. I'm sorry, folks. It's not. It's, it's just a part of growing John, old. John's been converted into a, a para swarm trooper thing, and uh, I'm overweight. <laughs> I'm not. No, no, no. You, you you look great, PJ. I have a lovely svelte figure. But we, cut, speaking of svelte figures, there we go, good transition, we cut suddenly to the JLA bunker in Detroit, where the remains of the JLA are assembled. And this is to whom Aquaman was telling his story, basically. Yeah, he says they've gathered the last remaining superheroes. And the last remaining superheroes, aside from Wonder Woman, are Argent from the Teen Titans... Yes, uh, known for having silver skin and being able to do kind of plasmary things, a bit like a Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah, that's all I know about Argent. This this was my first encounter with Argent, and I haven't had many encounters with the, with her since. Uh, there's there's a reprogrammed Amazo robot, a skinnier Amazo, skinnier greener Amazo, uh, but on the good guy's side. Can I say, I'm so glad that you and I are still referring to Amazo as Amazo and not Amazo, which I can just never bring myself to say. He's Amazo. Uh, There is Aztec, but not the Aztec we know and love. This is someone else in the Aztec armor. And, uh, oh, 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 almost missed them. Uh, A tiny little uh, atom. So it is the Ray- atom. It's Ray Palmer. It's great. Ray Palmer. I, I, I have to say as well, I love the costume they've put him in here. It's one of my favourite. It's got the same sort of design as his classic costume, but it's white and red instead of blue and red. And, and I, I really like it. I like it too. I've often thought that um, Atom's, the Atom's costume has always been a little weird to me. Like, it feels like a, like a rejected Spider-Man draft. You know, <laughs> I know, you know how like... I- um, Ant-Man's costume was a rejected yeah. Spider-Man one. It feels a bit like that. Like, it's just, yeah, it's good enough. I, I like it because the Atom is a classic character, because it's it's of that classic era. So I, I do have, you know, I like his classic costume. But Atom is, is a guy who, when they put him in a new costume, sometimes it just works for me. How do you feel about weird 90s Atom, where he had a jacket and had that cool thing that 90s heroes did, where their suit cut off at the top to let their hair out. We can't talk about that now, John, because that is a conversation for another day. Fine. fine. When because he, you know, he, he'll appear, he'll appear, he turns up. Um, a strange case of Julian September. Uh, but we do also have a green arrow. It's Connor, but it's he Connor. looks like his dad now. Yes, uh, he's got a shaven head 
And he's got a sick little mustache and goatee kind of combination. It's it's very much he's he's grown up into Oliver Queen with a shaved head. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Uh, and we we also have a table covered in kind of JLA paraphernalia. I suppose so you have Steel's hammer lying on it, which looks just grubby and and horrible. Doctor Fate's helmet, which seems to have a bullet hole in the middle. Um, Robin, part of Robin's tunic. Yep, and then I'm not sure who the wristbands are from, hmm. but they're not but meant behind... to be Wonder. They're not meant to be Wonder Woman's, are no. they? Because hers are silver. Yeah, I'm not sure who those are, but next to them you've got the the like the bit that connected Mister Miracle's cape, and I think the, the green fabric is meant to be his yeah. cape as well. So parts of Mister Miracle's outfit, and then is that? Starman's cosmic Starman's, rod. That's the cosmic rod, yes. Uh, and then on the wall, the tattered remnants of the coolest Superman costume ever. This is oddly enough, this looks a lot like the shrine that PJ and I each have in our houses <laughs> where <laughs> the tattered remains of Superman's electric blue outfit are pinned to the wall. It's um, just the S. As a nice little quirk, PJ. Because we're in the JLA bunker in Detroit, is isn't now again this is where my JLA law gets a little woolly. Wasn't Aquaman the member of the JLA who was in charge around the time they moved to to Detroit? Uh, D- Detroit was during the Justice League International days, wasn't it? Is that yeah? Got that, right? that was um, when. Wasn't like um Gypsy and Vibe were on the team. Yeah, a lot of D list. And that's being generous characters on the team at that point. Um It's like a West Coast West Coast Avengers kind of scenario. Yeah, I think this was I want to say early nineties. We're talking basically the long stretch when the Justice League wasn't very good after their mid to late eighties greatness and then before Morrison rebooted it in the mid nineties. Yeah. I just, I just wondered if this was meant to be some kind of like, I have a feeling Aquaman was involved with this bunker, so I don't know whether he deliberately chose this place as a. But I, I guess they were already here because they were, they've assembled all the paraphernalia on the table. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just the the JLA. I think it's a nice little nod if if I don't remember, but if Aquaman was the key guy on the team at that point. Um, but yeah, so we have. I, I do love it when you get a nice alternate future version of a team. Um, and Aquaman is taking charge. He's, despite being old, he's kind of in the best shape. And he's basically saying, hey, look, you know, we're the JLA. We need to save the day. Uh, you know, tell me this is possible. And Kyle, who uh, is currently having some minor techno surgery done on his cyborg parts, uh, is basically saying... We're not really the JLA. Like, uh, we don't have my power ring. We've got no super speed. We've really just got a couple of ex-Teen Titans here and a reprogrammed android villain. So, yeah, we're kind of screwed, basically. And then the Atom says that the word justice was wiped from the dictionary a couple of years after they destroyed the Philosopher's Stone to keep it out of Luther's hands. And then the gods came. And he says, there are no heroes anymore. I'm just Ray Palmer, a guerrilla fighter in occupied territory. 
And a really chilling line, he goes, I was a scientist and science lost out to religion. Oh, At, God. By which we mean, of course, the... the and of course, having an additionally weighted horrible meaning in that the religion of the new gods, like literally these these beings on a, another level just obliterated humanity. Yeah, not not our reality of present day where people don't think scientists know what they're talking about and like listen to Bob24 on the internet instead. And coming up, we have the uh, professor of uh, virology at Oxford. And, uh, you know, as a counter argument, we, <laughs> we have... We have Bob24 from Reddit. Uh, so, <laughs> what are your opinions, sirs? But anyway, back to the happy back to future. Some, back to something less depressing, PJ. So, yeah, Superman's atom, dead. Yeah, the atom just tells us how Superman died. And, oh my god, this is depressing. Uh, yeah. Um, Superman, Electric Blue Superman, uh, essentially performed a mercy killing on Lois Lane. After she was zombified, and because he'd vowed never to kill, he opened his containment suit and basically exploded. Yep, that's it. No more Superman. And this Aquaman's not happy. He's surprised. So he says, um, Batman? And then Aztec, the new Aztec, says, Desaad got him. Same time they killed his predecessor. So this is how we know how Kurt Falconer, or Uno, died when Desaad got him and Batman at the same time, and then this new Aztec came along. Poor Uno. We barely knew ye. We barely knew no. <laughs> no, <Him>. no, <laughs> moving on, moving on. Uh, so the, the, this ramshackle JLA are basically trying to put together a plan, and Kyle's like, look, okay, we, we have to go back in time. We have to fix this. Um, and even Connor is going like, well, look, you didn't fix it. I was there. Like, I remember we failed. And Aquaman's just like, no, cut the crap. We, we're going to get time travel technology and we're going to, and we're going to, we're just going to go back and fix it. I don't care. I, I love that. And we just, we're going to get apocalypse time travel technology. And he's like, yeah, I know this is there. We're going to do it. They've got time travel technology. Shut up, Connor. And, and from one bearded man to another. I think, um, yeah, I, th I think in the, in the battle for beard dominance, I think kind of Aquaman is winning right now. Oh, definitely. He's got a big full beard and long hair, and, and Connor's got a shaved head and a silly forked goatee, so... Yes, Connor has shown weakness by uh, shaving the sides of his face, which um, is inexcusable. <laughs> Aquaman will not tolerate this bullshit. No. no, not at all. But we cut suddenly from Earth to... Sparkling new Genesis, home of the oh. new gods and High Father. Except it looks a little bit like Apocalypse right now. Yeah, Darkseid's conquered New Genesis as well as Earth. And he's done that thing he loves where he's put great big fire pits on the side of the planet. And it's just radiating Kirby Crackle. Why does but he do that? Is it like a nervous tick? Does he just like <laughs> fire pits? <laughs> yeah. He's like uh, whenever he he goes to look at a new place, he's like, "Well, I I love what you've done with this. I think the uh, the coving's very nice up there. That's that's beautiful, and and I might take out that wall and just really extend this room. Oh, and I'm going to put in a fire pit. Oh, of course, and I'm, I'm going to put in a fire pit, like right down to the core. You know, <laughs> you know me. That's how I roll. Also, check right, out you, his face you, here. 
<laughs> and he's like, Darkseid, you've got a lot of fire pits. Or I need another fire pit. And, you know, he's he'll shoot you with his Omega Beams, so you can't stage an intervention. Um, and speaking of Darkseid and his, his interior and exterior design, um, Darkseid is here. And it's this wonderfully weird um, cinematography, for lack of a better word, where we do not see his face at all. It's the, they're waiting for the big reveal, aren't they? You you know that this means Porter has done something special with Darkseid for this appearance. And so we just get this first shot is his fist punching some slaves as Metron sits behind, just watching. And this is where Darkseid reveals that he has... Uh, Metron's... Here we go. Intellect was shattered against the rock of my unyielding will. So he has turned Metron into a puppet. And this explains why Metron was mean to Aquaman, Green Lantern and Flash. It wasn't the Metron we know and love. It was this future version of Metron that Darkseid sent back to ensure his victory. See, this has got to get confusing. Like, if you're Metron and you have the ability to walk through time and space, like, how many evil alternate future selves are you encountering, like, every day? Like, it's a real (laughs) occupational hazard is what I'm saying. It really is. It really is. And as he goes on, as Darkseid goes on and on about how Metron's his, his puppet, there's a whole monologue about power and how only Darkseid is power. And this in this panel, we see his foot, which is nice, standing near a flower trying to bloom. He, and he radios to Desaad on Earth. Yes, you realise that like all his ranting and raving is kind of like a conversation. And again, like I, this is, I, I feel this is one of like the best glimpses into Darkseid's brain that we've maybe ever had. Mm. Like, he is scary. Like, Morrison really nails making Darkseid terrifying rather than just, like, a big rocky guy in a in a, in a a tunic. Like, it's chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Because Desaad says to him, you know, power is the defiant spirit one best enjoys crushing a uh, great one. But when all are crushed, what then? And Darkseid just says, you don't understand. You don't understand this. Uh, you don't get me. Yeah, because, uh, again, we're, we're kind of seeing some of the uh, uh, apocalypse pantheon, for lack of a better word. Like, always kind of like uh, this weird cask of characters who follow Darkseid around. We learned that Granny Goodness has been transformed in this far future into the grandmother box. Uh, It was a giant floating cube, basically. Yeah, Granny Goodness invaded the new Genesis, the main central mother box, and somehow, I don't quite understand how, because Granny Goodness is a physical being, (laughs) but she took over the mother box. Yeah. um, I've got to say... it's just one of those wonderful, weird moments that you just kind of roll with and go, okay, so we've got a giant talking cube. Um, Desaad, or Desaid, depending on how you how you pronounce it, um, is, I don't know, I, I think kind of bravely is kind of yep. like needling Darkseid a little bit, like is saying things to Darkseid that I don't think anybody would ever dream of saying. <laughs> Um, I think it helps that they're on different planets as well. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And I think the really kind of like, uh, I guess, chilling conclusion is, you know, Dessard says, well, what if, you know, what if you're, what if this is vanity, you know, great dark side? What if, uh, you know, what if everything you're doing is is just, you know, your own ego? And the horrible, I guess, religion, the central kind of dogma of dark side is he basically says, I will remake the entire universe in the image of my soul. And when at last I turn to look upon the eternal desolation I have wrought, I will see dark side as in a mirror and know what fear is. And then he stamps on the little flower he was standing next to and laughs maniacally. And we still haven't seen him clearly on this page. We've seen a foot and a hand here and there, and then a long shot where he's in silhouette, uh, standing beneath the grandmother box. But we haven't got a clear look at Darkseid, and that's scary. Yeah. You, and you, you know the power this guy commands, and, and what he's saying, this rhetoric, he's he's shouting and not seeing him at the same time, it's, yeah. It's always kind of bugged me when Darkseid just turns up in a story as, like, yeah. another villain. It's just like, hey, I'm Darkseid. <laughs> and he kind of, like, you know, tweaks his moustache or something because he's got and another... Wiggles the cigar. Yes, because he's got another wacky scheme to take over the galaxy. Whereas, like, here, Darkseid legitimately feels like a force of nature. And... Again, I, I don't want to bring it up, but it seems so strange to me that we've just had a dark side themed crossover. Uh, not crossover, sorry. That 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 event of which we're trying not to speak. But I, I've, I can only imagine, PJ, that this is a world away from the depiction of dark side. In that, I mean, that was exactly what you described. That one, he showed up toward his mustache and then got stuck in the source wall. So that was it. Yeah. Sigh. Um, but anyway, PJ, um, I guess kind of back on Earth, um, Desaad is in Las Vegas. Yeah. And he's he says that his dialogues with Darkseid are always instructive, and he's going to go prepare for the glorious return. Now, we haven't seen Desaad's face. That's very important. His face has always been in shadow, uh, or he's got his back to us. So we... we... Just, just putting that out there. It's worth noting. And 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 if anyone isn't familiar with Desaad, um could you give us like a quick pointer, PJ? Yeah, he wears a robe with a hood. And he's a torturer. He's basically Darkseid's I guess like most trusted uh, advisor and and he likes to torture things. That's what he does. And he's yeah, he's very he's, good at it. He's like he's the god of torture basically yeah. or the torturer of gods. Both both are acceptable. Um and yeah, in this in this future, uh, he's made Las Vegas his base. Like it's all been transformed into um, this horrible futuristic citadel sort of thing, which is still centered around um, the, uh, one of the big fake pyramids of uh, a casino. Yes, uh, that seems to be where Desaad has, has holed up. And we get some narration saying that this is his playground, and he, he gets thousands of victims airlifted there, and no one who goes in ever comes out. So this is where uh, where they took Batman and Aztec, and they yeah. were victims of Desaad. And 
kind of now our heroes have to sneak in, I guess. And luckily, they have a swarm trooper. They have a swarm trooper. They have Kyle, who I'm guessing has like all the access codes kind of hardwired into his brain, uh, because he can. He starts talking, you know, techno techno babble, imperial sounding, fancy talk to be let in. But at the same time, they have a uh, another plan of attack. Yeah, Argent has uh, one of those fun '80s mobile phones, the, the the big bricky ones, and she is modeming the atom into their system. Yes, because as we all know, PJ, the atom can shrink so small that he can ride telephone lines in yeah. photons, basically. Yeah, and we get this lovely panel of Desaad looking grumpy, but in shadow, so it's just the outline of a grumpy face as uh, security alerts go off on his screen. And then we see the Atom in the phone line, and he thinks he's been detected, so he's going to try a new manoeuvre and hope that his size circuitry can take it. And what this means is that when he's attacked by these tiny little robots that also live in the phone line... (laughs) He shrinks even further, um, so basically, he gets smaller than a nanobot and hitches a ride on it. Bear in mind, this is a this scene is unfolding in a phone line. Yeah, like this is just the weird and wonderful nonsense that we get to talk about when we do this show. Um, it it's quite a cool visual. It kind of looks like hyperspace, or I guess for lack of a better comparison, like a this incredible stream of energy and lightning, which is yeah. just just a phone call, basically. So yeah, he's he's hitching a ride back to Desaad's hardware hardware on the nanobots, and then we cut back outside, and nothing's happening. Um, Connor's very confused. He's shouldn't they be shooting us? What's happening? And Aquaman realizes that something's up, and he asks for Plan B. Plan B is is Kyle blasting through a wall with the big gun that's attached to his. Swarm Trooper suit. Which is a hell of a gun, I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a... He, he wishes he had his ring, uh, but I've got to say, if you just want to remove a wall, he seems to be doing all right. Yeah, so he blasts a hole, and at this point, Wonder Woman says uh, suddenly it's a suicide mission, which I think gives you a good insight into how the last 15 years have gone for the <laughs> heroes of Earth. Yeah, and apparently just how bad it is to attempt uh, a direct assault on anything kind of new Gogsy. Yeah. Aquaman does say, with the Justice League, we don't do suicide missions, and then tells everyone to fan out. So Connor does a jump and a leap behind some cover, leaps out with his arrows pointed, and then there's still just nothing there. No one's there. There's no bad guys about to shoot them. They are in an empty Big old empty area. Yeah, uh, so much so that when you actually see Wonder Woman pretty much like just lifting the head off, I, I don't know if it's meant to be a robot or a suit of armor, but it's empty. Like, there are all these kind of guards on display, and it's all a fake. There's, you know, there's, there's no resistance here at all. Yeah, and she says it's either an elaborate trap or someone's beaten them to it. And they're, they're all confused. And Aquaman says, yeah, might well be a trap, but we need the time technology, so 
let's go. And then Wonder Woman and Aquaman punch their way through another wall because that's becoming a theme. I can I also say it's a nice little trope which I enjoy, which is where it's a very niche trope, but it's where futuristic or apocalyptic or whatever superheroes have to go undercover by wearing robes. <laughs> Muddy could, brown ones in this case. Because everybody is just wearing a shitty bit of fabric kind of wrapped around them. And I'm a big fan of that. It it does look great. And this is one of my favourite examples of that trope, I think. I've come to think of it. I've just noticed like a really weird colouring. A misstep, perhaps? I don't know if it's the same on yours, but when Aquaman and Wonder Woman kick their way into the next chamber, Aquaman's robe goes from being brown to pink. Yep. And then and then on the next page is very briefly bright red. Yep. That is exactly the same in my copy. I maybe that's magic new genesis fabric he found. Uh yes. It, it's like uh it's like the raw shark mask. It kind of responds to body heat. But as they've punched their way into this uh, into this room, they encounter Desaad, who the Atom is just standing next to. And Aquaman orders him to turn around, and Green Arrow says, Atom, what are you doing? And then Desaad says, he's with me. Eight years, four of them in Desaad's psychofuge, experiencing all the physical and emotional pain of his victims. It ended two months ago. Battle of wits. And then he pulls down his hood and says, I won. Huh. It's Batman. And what I think is actually quite telling is that none of the League would actually know what Batman looks like without his mm-hmm. mask on. But apparently his voice is utterly... It's instantly iconic because... And I think this is such a nice touch because Kyle just goes, Oh my God, Batman? Like, <laughs> yeah. your voice? Like... Because again, they they're not even like, oh, it's an elderly Bruce Wayne. Why is that's weird? No, it's just like, who the hell is this guy? Oh my god, he sounds just like Batman. It has to be Batman. Well, I think there's also an element that his his face looks like it's very scarred. He has been through a lot uh, mm. in the last few years, and I think even if you knew what Bruce Wayne looked like, you might not recognize who this old man is. But yeah. Desaad, it turns out, is is not there anymore, and Darkseid has been t- talking to Batman all along. And again, just to just to acknowledge the fact that Batman has been in, has endured eight no wait sorry four years of so- well eight years of big torture, eight years of mild torture, four years of intense torture. He has been in utter pain for eight years, and he still escaped. He's still Batman. You cannot He's break still- Batman. And Batman starts uh, getting undressed um, because I guess he's back among friends and he wants to feel comfortable. Um, but he has a Batman suit waiting for him. Of course he does. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe he had it manufactured. I, I don't know. But yeah, he is basically he's been pretending to be Desaad for a couple of months. And Wonder Woman very quickly fills him in on what's happening and everything they've missed. And I love his reaction. Batman just says, so what else can go right? Because he's like, now we can fix this. Yes, time travel. Let's do this. And Wonder Woman does say, slow down. You look like you've been through hell. And Batman's, nope, not doing that. He's Darkseid's coming back. He's, he's going to finish. He wants to build a global concentration camp. 
And uh, at the same time, Argent is looking at something on a table, and it turns out to be uh, Jean's harness, the Martian Manhunter. And Batman describes in detail how Dessard killed Jean slowly and painfully, smashing every atom in his body one by one. Which is pretty grim. Because it's very hard to actually kill a shapeshifter. And I guess because Batman has spent two months masquerading as Darkseid's most trusted advisor, he now has a kind of unique unique insight into how his brain actually works. And it's a lovely little line. He goes, No language on this planet has a word for the immensity of the evil we're up against. Like, no matter what it takes, no matter how impossible it seems, Darkseid must be stopped. Like, again, just adding in... I mean, for crying out loud, just what a hype, man. Like, really just amping up how flipping terrifying Darkseid is supposed to be. And then as he puts his his Batman mask on, so he's fully Batman again, but there's these little motion lines coming off his hands as he does so. He's got his back to us as he puts it on. He says, let me finish telling you about Dessard. But in the next panel, we've got a close-up of Green Arrow and the Atom as as Connor whispers, he's shaking. What happened here? And yes, Batman won. He beat Dessard in the end, but it has cost him. He is very much suffering from some kind of PTSD. And I do have to say that, and not to make light of PTSD, now that Batman is fully enrobed again as Batman, there is this amazing shot of like the team rallying again with Batman at their head. And Batman, despite having spent eight years being solidly tortured, is absolutely hench. Like he has yes, he is. The, he has one of the biggest biceps I've ever seen on a human being here. I also really like this Batman costume. It's, yes! it's all black with then a gold belt and a gold bat logo on it. So it's not in a circle. It's just the bat on his chest, but it's it's a black top with a gold bat logo. And I think it looks so cool. Oh, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't agree with you more, PJ. It just, and, and again, Howard Porter, again, probably doing some of the best art of the entire run. Yeah. Just, just looks, it just looks so good. So good. Yeah, but enough enthusing about Batman's new costume. And his because, biceps. Yeah, and biceps. He says that he persuaded Dessard to download his mind into a software cube, and he's programmable <laughs> now. So Batman's been using Dessard as a program to make contact with Darkseid, and I guess aid the charade. And uh, Darkseid is, it turns out, already on Earth. So that's nice. Yeah, time and distance don't come into it according to Batman, when you have access to boom tube technology. Um, Darkseid is here. But Batman already has a plan, and he suggests they attack the moon first. But we do get some key information as well, which uh, Kyle points out that the light bodies that are within the future bodies of Aquaman, Green Lantern, and Flash are going to slow down, and they'll be trapped there. If they can't return to the past soon, there's there's... There's no option. They're going to be stuck in these future bodies. And Aquaman says, we need Metron's Mobius chair. But that's when Batman says, we're going to go to the moon. Because you would, if you could. And we cut then to Metropolis, where 
and I got to say, PJ, I think this is one of my first introductions to boom tubes. <laughs> Me too. Because God, they're cool. Um, it's basically a teleportation device or method which generates a massive glowing tunnel, for lack of a better word. Um, and it's, and again, they, the name is very fitting. You always get the impression it's uh, kind of incom- uh, accompanied by like a massive sonic boom or something. This one's particularly big. I think normally a boom tube is person-sized. It's a tunnel for a person to walk through. But this one over the skies of Metropolis is huge. It's immense. And the sky for- is just blood red and bubbling. And the the sound effect boom covers most of this very large panel. It's and again, it, like you see, like the crowds of people, some wearing these weird kind of wise monkey masks, and others just looking pitiful in robes. And some some appear to be screaming, others appear to be kind of like smiling, like in rapture. And then we get a close up on a, a man with red hair and a beard who just whispers, "Father." Hmm. Mm, who who could that be? One another powerful beard has to be said. Yes. Uh, and then this ship, this weird kind of like almost insect-like spaceship. Uh, it's, it's like an insect mixed with a turtle. That's a very astute point, PJ. Yes. Uh, this turtle bug flies out of the boom tube and. There's like a kind of platform, like a like a kind of viewing platform on the side of a ship, and a tiny, tiny figure is shouting. It's basically screaming, like on a on a on a loudspeaker, addressing the people below. I mean, we all know who this ship belongs to, though, because it's got a fire pit on it, <laughs> a little portable fire pit. You know, just <laughs> just for the evenings when it gets cold. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, PJ, I, I can set you up if you want, and you can take us home. Oh, okay, okay. But this it. this figure is standing. Uh, this is glorious Godfrey, the 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 voice of Darkseid, and he goes, "The hour has come. He has come. Who is beyond good and evil? Who is the prophet of anti-life? Who is the rock and the chain and the lightning? All powerful, all unforgiving, all conquering." Who is your new god now and forever? Shaft. <laughs> um, and Shaft steps out. Uh, what? What? Well, PJ, who is it? It. We get this amazing splash page. It's just, and <laughs> it's the entire page is this glorious image of Dark Side dressed all in black. He used to wear purple. Now he is just dressed in, in it's it's basically the same costume but all black, with then the Omega symbol on his chin, and he just says Dark Side is. And we don't even get usually on these it's like next time this is happening. We just get to be continued in very tiny letters on the bottom right of the page. Because how else can you finish that? I mean Good Lord, Howard. I can't really sing Howard Porter's praises enough here because you you can you can bolt things onto Darkseid to try and make him look more interesting. You know, you can give him tassels, belt buckles, pouches. That was big in the nineties. You know, you can keep 
adding things to make a character look gnarlier or more evil or or kind of scarier. But what I love about this is Howard Porter hasn't had to fall back on any tricks. Like, the costume is incredibly simple. It's a weird tunic with boots. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. Like, it's simple, it's elegant, and Darkseid is massive. I just... I don't mean like physically gigantic, just he just seems to dominate the page, just fills it. Yeah, the angle we're looking up at him slightly from below, and he he he's astride the page. His his we don't see his feet because we're that high up. We start at sort of just above his knees in both the bottom left and right corners of the page, and then it just as you move up, he he is the page. I yeah, and it, and, it, and it's funny, like, I mean, again, I, I think one of the best depictions of Darkseid, if not the best ever, he, Howard Porter draws him as just craggy as all hell, like, just like the thickest kind of rockiest face you could imagine. And again, when, the, oh, sorry, BJ. I was just going to say, when I think of Darkseid, this is the image for me. This page mm. is usually the image that pops into my head. And I guess, I guess, interestingly, like he he does have a big scar going down one eye, mm. which again is like just one of those weird little world building things where we can kind of assume that at some point in the last fifteen years somebody hurt him in some way. I I believe there's a vague hint earlier in the issue when he's doing his ranting with uh, with Grandmother Box that that may have been Orion. Mm. That kind of makes sense. Like, uh, oh, and again, if anyone isn't familiar, PJ, Orion is okay. The son of Darkseid, but at one point in the past, in order to try and make a treaty between New Genesis and Apocalypse, Darkseid and the High Father traded sons. So Orion was sent to live on New Genesis, and the High Father's son Scott Free, who would later become Mister Miracle, went to live on Apocalypse. Uh, and that made them both good guys. <laughs> and yeah. although Orion, Orion has a heck of a temper. Yeah, it was really like a, a lose-lose situation for Darkseid, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Orion is meant to be the god of war. Is he hmm. not? Is that is that correct? Yes, he is. Yes, he, and, and it's that huge biblical story, that, that classic thing of the, the son coming back to destroy the father. Mm. So... It's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there we go, PJ. I mean, Darkseid is that's that 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 is the final message. Um, and that and that and that's the end of the issue. Um, incredibly. Um, what what an ending. I mean, what an issue. I mean, like it it kind of it rattled along at a fair pace. Like I feel a lot happened quite quickly. It, it did. But it goes so quickly that when I read the issue this morning, uh, before we hopped on the call, just to prepare myself, always read them first, I I had to go back and count the pages, because I was mm. thinking, that felt short to me. It's a standard length issue, and a lot happens in it, but it happens so, the pacing of it is so fast, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, I think it's done really well, it rattles along like a proper building to a climax should, and... It's it's really it, it's Morrison and Porter firing on all gun, all cylinders. It's amazing. I I wonder if I wonder if the part of the reason it feels uh, shorter in a way is because actually we've finally decompressed 
from like how much has happened in the previous few issues. Like this is a normal issue where insane things happen, but it's a normal issue. But just compared to the shit that's come before, <laughs> that this is like a manageable chunk. And now our brains are like, oh, you trained me to accept a thousand impossible things on every page. Mm-hmm. And this is this on, weirdly because rereading Rock of Ages this time, the status quo changes so many times. Like yeah. you, you think, um, oh, it's uh, it's about fighting the Injustice Gang, or, or you go, like, oh, it's about fighting evil holograms. Well, now it's about the Injustice Gang assembling and their plot, but now it's about traveling to the other side of the galaxy to Wonderworld, and now it's about this alternate future. Uh, and battling Darkseid. And in a weird way, this is the first time where the story settled down and really just told one story for an issue. It's, is that because this is, and it, this is the case for me, certainly, is it the first time for you where you're reading it as individual issues rather than in one sitting as a trade? Yes, probably, actually. It's weird yeah. to draw attention to these... Well, I guess these chapter these chapter points basically these you know these breaks, um, but again I all the times I've read Rock of Ages I've never thought to myself, God that was a lot to take in. It always just yeah. made perfect sense in the moment, and it's only like taking this like stepping back and taking like this sky high view where you go, flipping heck, a lot of stuff happens in Rock of Ages, <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a story featuring new leaguers it's got so many villains in it and then some deep cuts like gem son of saturn and argent and it's and then you get jack kirby's fourth world just bring it brought into it in chapter four as well in a huge way and it's crazy it's a crazy story, but I don't think, I think when you read it as one story, it doesn't, because it sort of all just naturally progresses into each other. It doesn't feel like a jolt. It all, it all works. It flows mm. well as a story. So I don't think you quite get that sense of weirdness that all of this stuff is is coming together as one thing. But certainly when you're reading it as individual issues, and I can only imagine what it must have been to have a month's gap in between all of them as well. It I mean, does it's... feel crazy. Frankly, it's honestly amazing that it all works as well as it does together when it yeah. feels like a hundred and one stories at once. Like it does work. <laughs> you know, I know I know we're doing a Grant Morrison podcast, so we might come across as apologists, but no, it honestly does balance really well, in my opinion. And that is just a sign of Morrison at the peak of the peak of Morrison, the peak of yeah. their game, basically. Yeah. Hundred percent uh, agree. And also, again, there is a there is a criticism about this series that it's all spectacle with very no. little. Yeah, exactly. I, I have to say it, but people, some people have said it's all about big moments. There's no character building or or heart, and I feel I, I couldn't disagree more. To be honest, like in the midst of all this nonsense, the idea that well, look at last issue, we had a whole issue with Kyle, and now. We've effortlessly shifted to Aquaman's perspective. Yeah. And I feel and like I know these characters. I feel like they have a distinct voice. 
and you you feel it when Aquaman emerges in Metropolis, and then he has that moment where he realizes he's in the body of an old man. He just looks at his own hand, and you feel it. I the the tragedy of what's happened to both Kyle and Wally in this future is it's emotional, and you're even in we're with these future versions of the heroes, and and so we've got. Atom and Green Arrow, who, if you're a League fan, you probably know to a degree, at least. But then next issue, even Aztec and Argent, these versions of them, get their moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly, yeah. Like, even throwaway characters get, like, a little moment in the sun where they're suddenly really interesting. Like, I don't know, even something like... I don't know, not, not necessarily from a characterization perspective, but even just finding a... A, a weird take on a familiar situation like grandmother box like knowing you're writing this weird alternate future which we're probably not going to see again and to just go you know what i could just have granny goodness but actually i've got this weird idea for how to do that character a little differently so yeah let's just do that and you know throwing out more ideas than most people will have in their entire career <laughs> in the <laughs> in the space of one story I think it says a lot that Morrison and Porter take ideas that Jack Kirby, the the legend that is Jack Kirby, one of the all-time great writer-artists out there, that they take some of his ideas and they twist them and change them, but in a way that doesn't feel disrespectful to what Kirby did and actually does feel like they're moving forward in a way with it and and are doing something different I think it's so easy for people to think yeah I'm going to play with Kirby's toys and just mess it up and get it wrong it's been done so many times before whereas it's the fact that here part of it is the leeway of having this alternate future so you can sort of say well this isn't quite canon so we can do what we like with it, but they it never feels like they're changing it too much. It it feels of a piece with Kirby's take on the fourth world. Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And yeah, I mean, we've said it before, we'll say it again, like Howard Porter, top of his game, like really, uh, I don't think you could have asked for a better artist to do this world the fourth world and this story justice there's a there's mm. a weight there's a kind of you know, just a just a depth of meaning to it which which is which is incredible and yeah i don't know and i, I guess i guess the last thing I, I i i think i could say about characterization is when you have a large cask of characters um it's very easy for some to get overlooked or become kind of one note and i i do think it's um I, I do like how in all the stories we've had so far, it feels like everybody has finally had their moment in the sun. And I think obviously obviously um Superman and Batman. Um Wally's had a lot to do so far. Kyle has kind of been our kind of our everyman guiding us through the series. I mean, but you look at this story, I mean, we're getting some great Wonder Woman moments, we're getting some great Aquaman moments. And even if Aquaman is like, quote unquote, not the most interesting version of member of the league, I'm so happy to spend time in his head. Like, he makes you care about them. Yes. Yeah, he really does. And I think it's good that we've, because the cast is going to grow fairly soon in the main JLA book. And 
But I like that before the before it does, we have had a chance to spend time with each of the big seven. Even even Green Arrow and Aztec have had their moments, and the fact that they've all had that. And and in this story, even Wonder Woman's dead, and she's had moments in this story too. So, yeah, I mean, I it, it's yeah, it's weird because I I um after after Morrison's run came to an end, I did carry on collecting JLA, and mm, there was me some too. uh. uh Oddly enough, I haven't got the Wade, most of the Wade run. I know uh, things like Tower of uh, Tower of Babel, that mm. sort of thing. I don't own those. But I jumped ahead a bit, and I have some stories from later in the series. Uh, some, some, some I like, some, some less so. But I do remember there was one story where it was a standalone story featuring basically the Magnificent Seven. And Wonder Woman didn't say a single line of dialogue in the entire issue. She was literally just there, which is kind of like the, the least you can ask for, I suppose, like technically present counts as being on the team. But when I think of Wonder Woman, like on the JLA, I think of this Wonder Woman. I think of her voice, from Morrison as being why that character is interesting to me. I think that's the same with most of the league, to be honest. Uh, I I do remember enjoying... It's very different when, when Mark Wade takes the book over. When It's weird. When Wade does his fill-in issues during the Morrison run, which we'll get to, they do feel of a piece with the Morrison run. I think, I think Wade is very good at doing that, of, of fitting in that way. Uh, you get one story in particular that feels like it should be a Morrison story, but it's actually mm. Mark Wade. And then when he takes over, he does then do his own thing with it, and it does become a different book. But I still really enjoyed what he was doing. He was sort of more about the interpersonal relationships between between the League members. I think Morrison has the character moments, but Wade really built on that, and, and it was about the trust that they have for each other and secret identities and all that sort of thing. And then after Wade leaves, that's when it started. There's there's some good fun good fun stuff there, but it's when the book was less interesting to me. Like when it was Morrison and Wade, it was always the first thing I'd read when I got a new stack of comics. If JLA was in there, it was the first thing I'd read. And then after Wade, I'd read it at some point. I quite enjoy. I got. I've got to say, I did kind of get into the later some of the later stuff, which was I want to say Joe Kelly writing. Yeah, and Doug Mank doing uh, doing the artwork, and I've got to say, like, I do kind of enjoy some of that stuff there. If only because, if only because it feels removed enough from Morrison's run, where my brain doesn't compare the two in a weird way. I know what you mean. Yeah, like he, I think because he starts doing something so different that it does feel like a, a, a different... Like, that would be where, in these days, that would be a new issue one for JLA at that point. Yes. And it would just be something completely different. But, like, because he did the storyline where you get two versions of the team in two different time periods. You, know, you get the League in the past looking for Aquaman for some reason I can't remember, and that's the main League that we know and love. And then a new version of the League led by Nightwing and Green Arrow in the present who are there to make sure there is still a League. Is yes. how I seem to recall it. And I do remember enjoying that. I remember um, there was a... And I've got to say, like, Doug Manx artwork, 
I, I really became a fan of that. And I think he himself has said he couldn't almost believe that he ended up drawing JLA because yeah. his artwork is so, and I mean this in like the nicest possible way, it's really dirty. Like his characters yeah. all look a little kind of grimy and gritty, but I really came to like it. And I know there's the storyline called, um, is it The Burning? Which is focuses yes. on Martian Manhunter. There's some crazy looking stuff in there, like that Doug Mank draws, like, um, you know, shape-shifting Martian fighting a shape-shifting plastic man. Like, Yes, that issue I, I particularly remember as well. That was really good. There's some really weird and wonderful stuff down the line. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't feel there's a point to this, or I just started rambling, but um, there are other JLA I, bits I enjoy as well, he said. <laughs> trying to trying to find a point in my insane insane rambling um pj i trying to get it back on track i do apologize um have we have we exhausted this avenue of pleasure have we said everything we need to say about this issue no there is one other thing i want to mention which is oh this you, issue dark side appears for three pages and for two of those he's kept sort of off screen as it were in the shadows just is you only really you get the impact of his first appearance on that final page. But even though he's not really in the issue, I do love that it's done so well that you can feel his presence from the start of it. Mm. He's just always there, even though he's not actually there. And I think it's it's really effective how they do it. It's something that I think is really difficult to do in comics. The only other example I can think of of that sort of thing is a very divisive story that would come later on. Uh, Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and... Oh, oh who drew yeah. That? I can't remember who drew uh, that. Rags, Rags Morales? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I do like about that is Batman doesn't appear until like issue three or four of it, but you can feel him in the story throughout. And that's how I compare with this issue. I think Darkseid, he's not actually in it much, but he is always there. And I and I think it's a difficult thing to do, and they and Morrison and Porter do it beautifully. There is a uh, another Morrison thing actually. Now you you said you haven't read Morrison's Batman and Robin. No, uh, I haven't. You very good, particularly uh, the first book because uh, the opening storyline uh, has X Morrison and Frank Whiteley, you know, the dream team, hmm. and they're dealing with Professor Pig, who's a completely mm-hmm. new villain that Morrison came up with. And in the kind of um, writer's notes at the end of the special edition, uh, Morrison talks about wanting the book to feel haunted by the Joker, despite the fact the Joker isn't in it at all. Okay. And there's this wonderfully weird thing that somebody noticed where one of the covers that Quietly drew, if you... (laughs) Somebody noticed that the new Batman and Robin logo and where it was placed on the cover, if you turned the cover upside down, it kind of looked like a smile. Okay. And like the weird, just the weird, the way the components of the image looked, it ended up looking like an homage to that classic um, Brian Bolland picture of the Joker, where he's like laughing and clutching his head. Oh yes, yep, yeah, from Killing Joke. And and Morrison and Quietly were saying in the notes that like they had 
this was not intentional at all. But again, Morrison with the weird kind of glorious chaos magic view on the world was like, well, clearly it worked. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> clearly the Joker was haunting this story because the Joker's spirit just made its way into the cover somehow. I mean, lean into it. Yeah, why not? I would. Um, well, PJ, I've I've got nothing left to say. It's a great issue. No, yeah, it really is. And I can't wait to do the next one because, oh my God, there's some good stuff. Yeah, and I guess in, in kind of dark anticipation of what is to come because, uh, yeah, it's good for us. It It's going to get worse before it gets better for our heroes. Um, I guess I should just say uh, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our fantastic theme tune, Justice. And um, if you enjoy hearing PJ and I talk, you can find us on social media. Uh, our details are in the description. Uh, PJ, is there anything to add? Um, no. Well, in which case, PJ, let's uh, let us let us go out with dignity. Uh, <laughs> just, just like all world leaders, uh, <laughs> PJ, could you sign us off in your own unique fashion? No, I don't want to go. You're going to have to get the Secret Service to drag me out of this podcast. It's never going to end. I got the most votes. Fuck you. Yeah.